Hello everyone. Welcome back to The Real Green Show. As always, thank you for your support. As a reminder, you can listen to the show in podcast form, or even better, watch the show on the Jamrock Organics YouTube channel. In today's show, we'll take a look back at a few of the most important stories that occurred last week in the world of cannabis, and stick around till the end of the show for a final thought about the importance of decriminalizing and legalizing cannabis. I'm your host, Garth Case, and this is The Real Green Show. For our first story, Arizona officially begun sales of recreational cannabis. Arizona's marijuana sales for the adult use market officially started on January 22nd. The launch comes just weeks after voters in the state passed a cannabis legalization initiative during November's election. This marks the fastest transition from voter approval to sales implementation of any state that has legalized marijuana to date. Let's take a look at how things went on the first day of sales. Turning to another big story tonight, sales of recreational marijuana now underway in Arizona. The Cliff Castle Chopper flying over the Harvest Dispensary in Scottsdale. That line of people wrapping around the building earlier. Voters choosing to legalize recreational pot back in November after the effort failed several times before. ABC 15's Nicole Valdez outside a dispensary in Tempe breaking down the rules that must be followed. Even as we get close to closing time, a line outside Mint Dispensary off of I-10 and Baseline, it first formed less than an hour after they got the green light on their permit. But on day one, it's not just the focus on the sale, it's also on the education a lot of first-time users need before they buy or use any of the now legal drug. And you are good to go. Fridays are usually pretty busy here. The energy is fun, everybody's wanting to talk to everybody about what they get in. Still, this Friday was busier than ever. We put that email blast on it about about 12:30, and by one o'clock we had a line around the building men and women eager but willing to wait a few more minutes for what some have been waiting for for years we called extra kitchen staff extra staff for the floor chief operating officer raul molina making sure customers still buy safely it's busy enough where you need to be conscious about other people and know that we're going to make you wear a mask and use safely the biggest thing is education at the at the counter level recreational buyers reminded there are still rules they have to follow under the terms of Prop 207. You must be 21 or older. Somebody that's coming in that's recreational can buy a maximum of one ounce. Having more than that could cost you up to $300 in fines. And the new law also specifies it's still illegal to smoke in public places, inside restaurants, and your employer could take action if they choose if they find pot in your system. Driving under the influence, also still a crime. Nobody goes out and grabs a bottle of Johnny Walker and starts drinking it in the parking lot. Don't do that with this either. Still, medical users like Denise Taylor excited. I believe it, it allows you to relax the mind and control what you're thinking of. I still hope that those that, you know, come to get themselves their, their products, they use it and they don't misinform others to do other illegal dumb things. Many are hopeful recreational pot will take a little bit more of the stigma away from cannabis. In Tempe, Nicole Valdez, ABC 15, Arizona. A 16% excise tax is placed on recreational pot sales. Medical marijuana patients will not have to pay that. Those behind Prop 207 say tax revenues generated from sales will go toward funding community colleges and to things like roads and public safety. In our next story, Delaware state auditors issued a new report detailing the tax revenue that would be generated from legalizing cannabis sales. In the report, they said, and I quote, the first state cannot and should not be the last state to approve legalization in the region, 
end quote. In the report, they compared the Delaware market to Colorado and Washington State and said that they expect the Delaware cannabis industry to be roughly worth $215 million and expects to bring in tax revenue of around $43 million per year. Sounds to me like Delaware is making a strong case to get legal cannabis in play very, very soon. In our next story, AgriFi Corporation went public last week, ticker symbol AGFY. AgriFi is a developer of advanced and proprietary hardware and software grow solutions for the indoor agriculture marketplace. Now, while AgriFi is not a cannabis company, they have a significant offering in data science and technology for indoor cannabis growers. Full disclosure, I do own shares in AgriFi, and please don't take my reporting on this as investment advice. The significance here is that we are seeing many more companies associated with cannabis entering the public markets. This is no coincidence given the overwhelming support of the cannabis industry in North America. Our next story. A marijuana trade group in Massachusetts drops their lawsuit against the state after backlash from marijuana advocates. The largest marijuana business association in Massachusetts has dropped a lawsuit against the state after more than a dozen key members of the group renounced the litigation in the face of a fierce backlash for marijuana advocates. The Commonwealth Dispensary Association, which represents dozens of established brick and mortar marijuana companies, sued the State Cannabis Control Commission earlier this month in an effort to stop a program that was designed to benefit black and brown communities, providing them an opportunity to compete in the online cannabis delivery space. The program would reserve licenses exclusively for disenfranchised entrepreneurs for three years. The state's other primary marijuana business group, the Massachusetts Cannabis Business Association, supported the new delivery licenses, saying they were critical to achieving equity in an industry that so far has little diversity. The group issued a statement Monday, applauding the focused, tenacious, and downright effective work of advocates to hold the emerging cannabis industry accountable and pledged to advocate for the removal of barriers keeping smaller players and minorities out of the business. This gives positive optics to the cannabis industry in Massachusetts and further demonstrates the power of marijuana advocates. And it makes me happy to see a victory for the little guy. In our next story, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer listed marijuana decriminalization as a priority in 2021. In his first public comments on cannabis policy since Democrats reclaimed the majority in the Senate, Schumer said federal marijuana reform will be a part of a racial justice agenda that lawmakers will pursue in the 117th Congress. This, in my opinion, is a positive signal that decriminalization of cannabis is a real possibility in the coming year. Schumer said that when it comes to marijuana reform, the issue intersects with racial and economic justice. Let's listen to a little of what he explained during an interview with MSNBC's Rachel Maddow. And, and same with racial justice. A young man is arrested with a small amount of marijuana in his pocket. He has a criminal record the rest of his life, can't become a productive citizen. This one won't hire him, that one won't hire him. Change that. There's lots to do. Now, Senator Schumer also had a discussion on Instagram with my main man and former NBA player, Al Harrington. He is the founder of Viola Cannabis Brands. In the discussion, Sanders Schumer elaborated the need to decriminalize and legalize cannabis and talked about the bill that would help to do so. Let's listen in. Oh, yeah. Where are you right now? I'm, in De- I'm actually in Detroit right now. Gotcha. Well, you're close to Indiana, I guess, right? Where you played ball. I'm, I'm used to the cold weather. You know, I'm from New Jersey, too, so... Yeah, where in Jersey? Where in Jersey are you from? I grew up in Orange, New Jersey. 
Got it. I know where it is. So I was a basketball player in high school. Yeah, right. I wasn't quite as good as you. You know what our team's motto was at Madison High School? What was it? We may be small, but we're slow. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, why does this issue, you know, why do you care about this issue? You know what I'm saying? Well, a couple of things. A couple of things, Al. Number one, you know, I believe in freedom. Let people do what they want. And it became apparent uh, years ago that all these horror stories, you know, if you legalized marijuana, crime will go up. Well, states legalized it, crime didn't go up. If you legalize marijuana, everyone will become a big druggie. That didn't happen either. And also the havoc it created in the minority community and the unfairness. You know, a young man caught with a little marijuana in his pocket gets arrested, has a criminal record the rest of his life, can't get a good start, can't get things done. So I decided we should decriminalize it. Time has come and, you know, there was a lot of old logic. The fact that they, the federal government said that it's as big a crime to have marijuana as to have heroin was ridiculous, just ridiculous. Everybody knew that. So I decided I was the first leader of Democrats or Republicans to say, let's decriminalize, let's legalize. And I'm glad I did. Man, we're, we're, we're so happy that you did and we're so happy that you continue to fight for that or right the wrongs that have happened to our community industry that is really obviously taking off, billions of dollars are being made, and we still don't have any representation. But yeah. You'll have it with me and our bill, the bill that I put in, now we're putting it together with some other bills. It does four things. Decriminalizes, lets the states do whatever they want. Number two, expungement of the records. It shouldn't be that someone should carry this burden around his or her whole life when marijuana just should not have been a criminal offense to begin with. Correct. Number three, minority community. And now what our bill does is it says that the tax that goes to marijuana, that, you know, that, that would be made from legalization should go into the minority community to help minority businesses, to help smaller businesses. It was the minority community that suffered because marijuana had such a, you know, such a um, uh, high criminal rating, too bit, much overdone, much too broad. Right. So we should put the money back into the minority community. I don't want to see these big tobacco companies coming in and shoving everybody out. You just brought up an interesting point. You know, you know, my biggest concern with, you know, federal legalization, mm -hmm. you know, when I really think about it overall is because, you know, I think that that means the FDA comes in. Right. And if the FDA steps in, you know, a lot of these facilities that we spent a lot of money and energy and effort building could potentially uh, not be compliant. So, like, how do you see, you know, federalism? No, we want our legislation to be very easy and not do that kind of stuff. And we say, look, we don't need the FDA putting all kinds of stuff. And we do what well, the one thing we'd like to do is we put in some money so that people can actually um, develop a breathalyzer test, you know, for marijuana. They have it for alcohol, obviously. It'd be good to have it for marijuana. Just like you shouldn't drive under the influence of alcohol, you probably shouldn't drive under the influence of too much marijuana. But overall, we pretty much let things alone to the states. So I agree with you. If the FDA came in with a heavy hand, that would undo the whole purpose of our bill. And the new bill we're putting together with a lot of different supporters, some Republican, um, we're going to make sure that doesn't happen. And I will, in, as we move this bill forward, Al, I'd like to show it to you and see what you think of it. Okay, take a look. And I'll tell you one more thing I was really glad to see that the NBA stopped random testing for marijuana this year. And I heard that was because of some guy named Al Harrington. Is that true? <laughs> First came in the league, I was not a smoker. So I definitely was one of the guys that looked at my teammates like because they smoked, they wasn't taking their craft seriously. 
But now that I'm educated and I'm woke, I realize that, and especially having a 16-year career with multiple surgery, having to take all the kind of opioids and different things like that throughout my career. Yeah. Power of the plant. Like, if players should have access to this plant as an alternative way to medicate a lot of the issues that we deal with. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there was a lot of old-fashioned thinking that didn't catch up with medical science. And we're hoping to do away with all that. And you're doing your job. You thank God for you, Al. Keep up the great work. And speaking of legalization efforts, we have an update to the story I mentioned in last week's show regarding legalization efforts in New Jersey. As mentioned last week, there was a delay in moving New Jersey legalization efforts forward due to a disagreement on how to handle underage cannabis users. The new proposal on the table is to fine adults 18 to 20 $50 for possession of up to one ounce of cannabis and $100 for more than that amount. Those under 18 would not be subject to the civil penalty, but would be given a warning and other interventions. No word what exactly those other interventions might be. These are lower penalties compared to what was proposed in the last version of the bill. New version seems to have the support of advocates like the ACLU in New Jersey. We should learn more this week when legislators meet to get feedback. New legislation would also form a task force charged with making recommendations to the governor and lawmakers on law enforcement activities to address the enforcement of underage possession or consumption. The American Civil Liberties Union said that the panel's creation lays the groundwork for future reforms, providing a clearer look into how enforcement is carried out in practice. If racial disparities persist, we'll know. And that's last week's news in cannabis. Stay tuned for my final thought on why legalization and decriminalization of cannabis is important. Remember to follow and subscribe to stay in the loop and we welcome your comments and feedback about the show. Tweet us at Jamrock Organics and check out the episode notes in the description for lots more information about Jamrock and The Real Green Show. Now, for my final thought this week, I wanted to highlight a debate I have frequently with friends, family, and colleagues outside the cannabis industry and has to do with why it's important to decriminalize and legalize cannabis. Here are 10 reasons in no specific order why it's important. Number one, prohibition has not worked. Since the federal government first prohibited marijuana in 1937, it has increased in popularity and has become mainstream and widespread. Over 100 million Americans use cannabis and this increases every year. A survey performed by Monitoring the Future finds that four out of five high school seniors say marijuana is easy to obtain. If prohibition was working, this would not be the case. Number two, arresting marijuana offenders prevents police from focusing on real crime. In 2018 alone, the FBI reported more than 660,000 marijuana arrests and citations, more arrests than all violent crimes combined. Meanwhile, FBI data showed that police only cleared 33% of rapes, 30% of robberies, and 14% of burglaries by making an arrest. In places like Colorado and Washington, data shows higher percentage of some crimes being solved after legalization. Number three, enforcement of prohibition is costing us all billions in tax dollars that would be put to better use. Taxation, in contrast, would bring in much-needed revenue. A sample estimate by the Congressional Research Service projected that replacing marijuana prohibition with taxation and regulation would yield $6.8 billion in excise taxes alone. In Washington state, taxes on cannabis sales 
brought in $440 million in fiscal year 2019. Number four, prohibition has sent an incredible number of Americans through the criminal justice system, ruining countless lives. According to the FBI, there have been more than 50 million marijuana arrests in the U.S. since 1995. To put that into perspective, that's 50 million people who potentially can't get a job, get proper housing, or receive a professional license, student loans, food assistance, the list goes on and on. You get the point. This gives those affected very little options to positively contribute to society once released from incarceration. As a result, we may have just created an even greater threat to society. In contrast, there have been presidents and industry leaders who admit to using marijuana, but obviously went to add significant value to society because they were never caught. Number five, marijuana laws are disproportionately enforced. According to the ACLU, African-Americans are more than three and a half times as likely to be arrested for marijuana possession than whites nationwide, despite similar rates of use. Number six, contrary to popular opinion, replacing marijuana prohibition with regulation does not increase rates of teen marijuana use. According to the most comprehensive government survey from each state, no state that legalized marijuana for adults has seen an overall increase in teens' rates of marijuana use. Number seven, marijuana prohibition breeds violence. As was the case during alcohol prohibition, an unregulated market results in violence of all sorts. Both buyers and sellers are vulnerable to assault when disputes occur in the unregulated market. Number eight, regulation will allow for control. Unlike licensed businesses in states that regulate cannabis, illicit marijuana sellers operate virtually anywhere and have no incentive not to sell to minors. Prohibition guarantees that marijuana is not tested for purity and potency, creating the risk of contamination by dangerous pesticides, moles, bacterias, and what happens most prevalently is the lacing of cannabis with other dangerous drugs. Number nine, cannabis prohibition is also bad for the environment. Illicit marijuana growers sometimes use banned pesticides that are then illegally dumped in parks, neighborhoods, public waterways, and other urban settings. Regulated cannabis businesses are monitored to ensure compliance with zoning and environmental laws. Number 10, cannabis is safer than alcohol. Researchers have consistently concluded that cannabis is less toxic than alcohol. It has less potential for addiction and is less likely to contribute to serious medical problems. U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention reports more than 30,000 alcohol-induced deaths per year, including more than 2,000 from acute overdose. It reports zero marijuana-induced deaths each year, and there's never been a verified marijuana overdose death in history. Hopefully, this helps you to understand the importance of decriminalization and legalization of cannabis. And I hope you'll join me in spreading the word, educating others, or even better, forward them the link to this show. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, stay healthy and stay safe.